Happy Mother's Day. We are just so glad. We are honored that you are here today to celebrate with us. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Ryan. I get to serve this wonderful church family as the lead pastor. And today, I get to kick off our brand new sermon series called Picture Perfect Family. Now, in case it didn't come across in this incredible sermon series graphic, this title is meant to be a little bit ironic because we all know that there is no such thing as a picture-perfect family, right? Right? We all know this? I think deep down we all believe that to be true, but the reality is, right, on days like today, especially on days like today, that's all you're going to see, right? Pictures of picture-perfect family plastered all over your social media platforms, right? Every family dressed to the nines, every single one of them looking like they're just having the best time ever. When we all know what's really going on behind the scenes, don't we? That they probably had a morning that looked quite a bit like yours, with a, a whole lot of chaos, maybe a little bit of breakfast, and definitely a fight on the way to church. Somebody's like, okay, yeah, you, you were with me there. Okay, I got gotcha. you. So, see, what may look like a picture-perfect family when we're scrolling through social media really isn't perfect. Or if it looks perfect to you, you're probably not getting the full picture. To help illustrate this point a little bit more for you, I want to share with you just a quick video that we're using to introduce this sermon series. So go ahead and check it out. And so you see what I've been telling you. Nothing like it seems It's what I've been telling you I think we have all been in at least one of those pictures, right? And what I love so much about this video, other than those deeply, deeply relatable moments, is that it tells us the honest truth, that there is no such thing as a picture-perfect family. However, there is such a thing as a God-honoring, purpose-driven, and spiritually healthy family. That is within our reach, and that is what we are after in this series, becoming God-honoring purpose-driven, and spiritually healthy families. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the next six weeks between now and Father's Day, looking at God's Word to help us do exactly that, looking at His purpose, His vision, and His design for family. And as we do that, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to learn to break away from the ways that the world has been shaping and forming our families. We have to reorient ourselves back to God's original design, back to the biblical foundation. And here's what I believe is going to happen. What I believe is going to happen if we are intentional to do that, to reorient our families, is that we'll find that in time, our families are going to flourish. Now, before we get going on today's message, I want to just be clear about one thing. This is not just a series for those of you who are parents with kids. And this is not just a series for those who are in their 20s or 30s either. So regardless of where you find yourself this morning, there is going to be something here for you. Because the reality is, 
we each have not just one, but actually two families. First, of course, we have our biological families, right? Those who we share some DNA with, a, a last name with, a Netflix account with, right? Those are our biological families. Some of you are like, I share my Netflix account with everybody. I think they're cracking down on that, just a heads up. But so we have our biological families. We have our spiritual families as well, right? You look around this room. I'm guessing most of you can point to a spiritual father, a spiritual mother, a spiritual son, a spiritual daughter, spiritual brother, spiritual sister. You get the idea. And the simple truth is that whether it's a biological family we're talking about or a spiritual family, God's design, his purpose remains the same. So again, regardless of where you find yourself in this season, whether you have kids or you don't, whether you've got an empty nest, whether you're too young to have kids, whatever the case is, I want to encourage you, stay engaged. Because God has given you two incredible families. He's given you two opportunities to accomplish his mission. So y'all engaged? Y'all locked in this morning? Okay, good. Let's go to God in a word of prayer before we start out this morning. Father, we love you. Lord, we are so grateful to be your sons and your daughters. We are grateful that you've placed us into families. Lord, we know that uh, families are, are challenging, right? We are far from perfect, but we also know that you've given us families to be a blessing and that we can be used by you to bless others. So Lord, I ask that you would speak to us in this time. Holy Spirit, would you, would you give us the wisdom and the, and the discernment and the courage we need to walk in your ways? It's in your precious and holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said a moment ago, our goal with this series is to reorient you and to reorient your families around God's purpose and his design. Now, the simple fact that we need to reorient means that we've gotten a little bit off track, right? For any of you who use the maps feature on your phone, you know that when you make a wrong turn, your phone does this little thing, right? It recalibrates. It has to take where you're at, right, and then calculate based off of where you're going the new route that you need to take. That's exactly what I want to do for us today. And in order to do that, we got to fi first figure out where we're at, right? We have to figure out where we're at so that we know how to become that God-honoring, purpose-driven, and spiritually healthy family. So let's talk about where we're at. Let's Take an honest assessment of where we're at as families here in America. Where are we at? Is it a good spot? Do you guys think we're in a good place? Not exactly, right? When we look around us, we see a society that is not exactly designed for us to flourish as families. In fact, I'd be willing to argue that we live in a society that is actually designed to oppose us in that. It's designed to, to, to take us away from being a flourishing family. And this isn't just my own opinion. Secular research has actually proven this. There was an article that came out just a few years ago that ranked the best countries to raise a family. And this study, it looked at the 35 most developed countries in the world and looked at six different factors. Those factors are safety, health, happiness, cost, education, and time. And after compiling all the research, what they did is they ranked all these 35 countries and they gave them a letter grade like you get in school. Two of the 35 countries got an F, the United States and Mexico. Yeah, look at that. Research found that families in the U.S. are less educated, less healthy, spend less time with their kids, are less safe, and have less money than any of our counterparts. This is a major issue, right? This is a full-on crisis. The impact of this crisis is going to be felt for generations to come. Something, y'all, is broken. Something needs to be repaired. 
Now, before you start going down like the political rabbit trails of why this is, let me just stop you right there because there is one factor, one big factor that's ultimately led to us getting to where we're at today. And that's that we have moved further and further away from the biblical foundation for our families. That's really what's at the core of this, right? We put an emphasis on vanity and on the production of the individual rather than on values and growing healthy communities. And the results speak for themselves. This rapid decline is, is really, uh, it's explained well in this book called Take Back Your Family. I'm going to be touching on a few points in this book. It's by a, a man named Jefferson Bethke. Highly, highly recommend it. But in his book, he gives this really helpful illustration to help us to understand where we're at and to give us a, a picture for what we need to get back to, what we need to reorient our lives to. In his book, he equates Western families nowadays to factories, like the Industrial Revolution. Think of that kind of factory, right? The assembly line idea. And the picture that's painted is one where our value in families is based solely on what we can produce, right? It's an individual-focused mindset that encourages us to take as much as we can, to consume as much as we can, to build ourselves up as much as we can until the factory eventually and inevitably shuts down. See, factory families, let me just paint a picture for you. Factory families, they rarely eat meals together. Right, because each person has their own individual activities. Everyone is burning the candle at both ends, trying to produce as much as they can. So you maybe have mom and dad over here who are just solely focused on building up their business or their bank account. And then you've got little Johnny and Susie over here who are mimicking their parents, sacrificing their childhood for the sake of a college scholarship. I'm not saying that building your business or, or going after college scholarships are a bad thing. They're not. But when that becomes the primary focus, our families turn into factories, right? And they get put on the fast track to eventually shutting down. See, because once you get all the production you need out of something, well, you no longer have any need for the factory, right? Tell you what was so hard to hear is that the divorce rate among people 50 and over has doubled since 1990. Doubled since 1990. Families designed to be factories, they are shutting down at a record rate. Again, there is a problem here. There is something that needs to be addressed. Clearly, we need to get our lives back on track, our families back on track. We need to reorient them back towards God's original design, which doesn't look like a factory. It actually looks more like a farm. See, farms aren't hyper-focused on the individual. Farms require a tremendous amount of teamwork. And while there is still a great deal of production that happens on a farm, the focus isn't on the production, it's on the process, right? Because production on a farm takes time, it takes hard work, it takes understanding seasons and healthy rhythms. And lastly, farms, they're not centered around consumption like factories are. They're centered around contribution. Each person on a farm has a role to play. Each one brings value, no matter their age. Unlike factory families, farm families, they eat most of their meals together. And while they may work just as hard as others, they do so by prioritizing spending time together. See, sacrifice happens just as much on the farm as it does in the factory, but when you're sacrificing on the farm, you're doing so for the benefit of everyone and not just the individual. This is an environment where families can flourish. This is how God has designed us to operate 
as multi-generational teams living on mission. Let me say that one more time. Multi-generational teams living on mission. We weren't created, we weren't designed to do life on our own. And we were created to be together in teams to be sent on mission. And I want to actually prove this to you. So I'm going to go all the way back to, to creation, all the way back to the book of Genesis, okay? God creates, right? And then as his crowning, uh, his crowning act, he creates us in his image. Now, did he create us to be alone? No, he created us in a team, right? First as, as man and woman, and then eventually as a multi-generational team. And what did he give us? He gave us a mission. Check this out. Genesis 1, verse 28. The very first command God gives. He says, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on earth. Now I want you to notice, this is a pre-fall commandment. Before Adam and Eve had even sinned, God sets the expectation. He says, you are a multi-generational team, and I am sending you on a mission to make the rest of the world look like Eden. You guys got that? Now fast forward to Matthew 28, as Jesus is sending out his followers, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. His expectation was that his followers would leave Jerusalem as a multi-generational team and go make the rest of the world look more like Jesus. Do you see the connection there? This has always been God's design. Multi-generational families, multi-generational teams sent on mission. Children of God who are living out their faith in community and in fellowship with other believers. So as we work to reorient our lives, reorient our families, we need to first understand where we are at. That our society has been designed to produce factory families. Then we must work to change our direction so that we can head towards becoming those team-focused farms that we were designed to be. Are you all with me on that? Okay, good. We're going to look now to God's word to begin our journey, our study of God's purpose for our family. So if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, I want to encourage you to open those up to turn to Psalm chapter 127. should be roughly halfway there in your Bible. As you make your way there, let me just say a couple of quick things about this psalm. First of all, uh, its author is King Solomon. King Solomon is known to be one of the wisest men to ever live. In fact, 2 Chronicles chapter 9 says that he was, was, had more wisdom than any other king. And other kings would actually come to seek his wisdom, which had been given to him very specifically and directly by God. The second thing I want you to know is that this psalm is what's called an ascent psalm. Ascent meaning like the going up. Right? This is one of the songs that the Jewish people would have sung on their way towards Jerusalem when they made their pilgrimage there. And it wasn't just sung by parents, it was sung by the entire community, by the multi-generational team, if you will. So what that should tell us is that there is wisdom here, and the wisdom here is for everyone. Look with me, if you would, at Psalm 127, verses 1 through 5. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame, and when he speaks with his enemies, when, uh, when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, there is a lot of wisdom here in just these five verses. 
But the first thing that should jump right off the page at you is where the foundation of our family is supposed to be. And that's my first point here, that God-honoring families are built on a biblical foundation, not on cultural expectation. God-honoring families are built on a biblical foundation, not on cultural expectations. Look back just at that first part of verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, uh, those who build it labor in vain. Now, even though Solomon was a great builder, even though God used him to build a temple in Jerusalem, he's not talking about a construction project here. He's using a house as a metaphor for family. And what he's saying is that unless this house, unless your family is built on God's design and on God's direction, then those who build it, that's you and I, we labor in vain. Our work is worthless. Now, I want to point out to you that Solomon doesn't shy away from the fact that we have a role to play. He's not saying we could just sort of sit back and just passively wait while God does all the work. What he's saying is that as we build, we're to follow God's blueprint and not our own. We're to build on his foundation and not on the expectations of others. In the end, our family should be founded on and filled with his truth. As I was thinking of this picture, I thought of some friends of mine who recently bought a home, and it was like the, one of the new builds, right? And so they got to go by with a, with a Sharpie and kind of write on the foundation and on the, the frame of the house. You guys seen this before? Some of you maybe even been able to do this yourselves. It's a simple and symbolic way of saying exactly this, right? We are going to, to, to build our house on the foundation of God's truth. And while we may not all have the unique opportunity to do that with our own homes, we still have the opportunity to found and to fill our home with God's truth, right? That could look like sharing a devotional or reading scripture before dinner. could look like practicing spiritual discipline with your kids. There are plenty of ways for us to live this out in our homes. And God promises us that if we do that, our work will not be done in vain. Reminds me of the wise man Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7, the one who built his house upon the rock, right? His work was not done in vain. Because when the rains came and the, the winds blew and the floods came, what happened? His house stood firm. And so will ours if we build it on a biblical foundation. Now here's the problem. It can be really easy to build our house around cultural expectations, can't it? Whether it's to, to keep up with the Joneses or our neighbors or whether it's even overcorrecting maybe some of our own parents' mistakes. It's easy to be driven by our selfish ambitions more than by God's wisdom. And here again, we see that individual-focused factory image playing out. See, parents are, are failing to give their kids boundaries. They're allowing them to make major grown-up decisions several years before they're ready to do so. that are going to impact their lives and bring consequences that they can't even fathom. We need to build our families on biblical foundations, not on cultural expectations. But listen regardless of how far down that road you may find yourself as a biological or a spiritual parent, there is time to reorient your life and to base it on biblical foundation. But here's the thing, just like the picture of the farm, it's going to take some hard work. It's going to take some intentionality, and it's going to take a multi-generational village. This is why we here at Awaken place such a high value on life groups. That's where a lot of this happens that's why we're actually excited to announce that this summer we're going to be taking a, a brief hiatus from life groups and we're going to give our parents or our parents-to-be an opportunity to step into an intentional conversation around parenting. We're going to take a, a six-week time span to walk through uh, actually a really incredible uh, piece of curriculum 
uh, called The Perfect Parent, written by Dr. Doug and Paula Lay. That name probably sounds familiar to some of you. Uh, Dr. Doug and Paula are, of course, Pastor Josiah's parents. Uh, they are just such phenomenal people, such great ministry partners. They've put together an incredible, incredible resource. And so if you're here and you're a parent, a parent-to-be, and whether you're in the early stages or late stages of parenting, I want to invite you to join us. We are still putting a uh, few finishing touches on the final details of that, but you can go on to the Church Center app. You can learn a little bit more. You can fill out your information so that we can get a hold of you once those details are finalized. We want to give you an opportunity to be intentional in growing your family, to becoming that God-honoring family that's living on mission for Jesus. That leads me to my second point this morning, which is that purpose-driven families view children as a gift to be given. Purpose-driven families view children as a gift to be given. Look back at verses 3 and 4. Solomon tells us, Behold, the children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Okay, so we've got two metaphors that really don't seem to be related at all on the front end. We hear that kids are, are a heritage, but then we also hear that they are arrows. So what do these two things have in common? Well, let me break it down for you. First, this word heritage. It's a Hebrew word that actually means a portion or a share of something that's assigned to us by God. To put it simply, Solomon is saying that children are a gift. They are a gift that has been given to us by God. And we hear this language all the time, right? When you do child dedications, when, when kids are born, we get that. But here's the thing I think we sometimes forget. They have been entrusted to us with a very specific purpose. And this is where the arrows come in. Because what's the purpose of an arrow? To be, to be shot out, right? To be sent out. And the same holds true for our children. They've been given to us, but they don't belong to us, do they? They've been given to us as gifts. God's purpose is not that they remain forever in our quivers. Our children are part of our multi-generational team, right? They have just as big a part to play in God's mission as we do. The challenge is we don't often see them as the gifts that they are. Let me go back to that factory sort of image, that factory mindset. See, factory families don't view their children as gifts. They view them as a means by which they can get what they want out of life. Children in factory families are viewed as products, and you can always tell when this is happening by the way the parents promote their children. Whenever the motivation is to increase their social standing or to live vicariously through their children, the end result is still the same. Children are viewed as products. And so the expectation is that they be perfect. Farm families, on the other hand, farm families are focused on preparation. See, on the farm, children are taught from a young age how to do every single thing on that farm because the expectation is that one day they'll have a farm of their own. And this should be our posture with the next generation as well. That if the purpose in parenting is to one day let them go, then we need to spend what little time we have now preparing them for the mission ahead. Let me just address the fact that I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. So there are some of you in this room who have far more experience than me in this. Some of you who are much closer to sending your arrows out. Some of you who have already sent those arrows out. I've got several years until that painful moment is going to come. But the reality is that we need to be intentional in preparing both ourselves, me and Lindsay, and our kids for that moment now. So what does that look like practically? Well, we're going to spend a lot more time throughout this series talking about that, but let me just give you a few ways that we are preparing our arrows to be sent out. First, we give them opportunities that will challenge them. 
Now, this doesn't have to be anything complicated. It could be a, a physical fitness challenge. It could be a goal that has to do with their schoolwork. It doesn't really have to, to, to be anything crazy. The point is to get them comfortable being uncomfortable so that eventually they can learn that they can do hard things. Second, we give our kids opportunities to build their courage. I think this one's super important, especially if you have little ones, because we live in such a safety-obsessed culture. But we have to remember our main goal as parents is not to protect our kids from all harm. It's to point them to the mission of Jesus. So yeah, we're aware of their emotions and their feelings, absolutely. But we also encourage them to do things that kind of scare them. Lastly, we give them the gospel. Right? As they're being challenged, as they're growing in courage, we remind them of where to put their trust. We remind them of why they have nothing to fear. So challenge them, build their courage, and give them the gospel. Those are just three simple ways you can be intentional in preparing the next generation for the mission ahead. Let me remind you, this isn't just for those of you who have biological children of your own. These same principles apply with those spiritual children. That leads me to my third and final point for you note-takers out there, that spiritually healthy families have more than one home. Spiritually healthy families have more than one home. I find it interesting that if you do a search for the word family in Scripture, you will find it in only 76 verses. 76 verses out of over 31,000 in our Bibles. That doesn't mean God doesn't care about families, right? He talks about them all the time. All that tells us is that God has a different definition of families than we do. See, when we think of families, we think of like a nuclear family, right? Mom, dad, two and a half kids, and the dog. But when God speaks to family, he actually addresses the entire community. So when I say that spiritually healthy families have more than one home, I'm not talking about the home on the beach in Florida, right? I'm talking about the fact that God's definition of family doesn't just consist of a few people in the four walls of a house. So let's talk about those two homes. Let's begin with that physical place, those four walls where we reside. Here's what I want to point out to you this morning about your home, your physical place of residence. It is the primary place where your kids will learn the gospel and where they will see it lived out. I'll say it one more time. Your home is the primary place where your kids will hear the gospel and where they will see it lived out. So let me ask you, how are you being intentional in communicating the gospel? How is the gospel being displayed in your interactions, in your disagreements, in the way that you discipline? How are you reflecting the grace of Jesus with your spouse, and with your kids? These are questions you need to honestly ask yourself. Because as much as we love your kids here at Awaken, and as desperately as we want to see them following Jesus for the rest of our lives, the reality is we only get a small sliver of time with them. In fact, I want to show you a quick graph here. This shows how much time your kids spend at church versus the whole rest of the time they spend anywhere else. We're talking about 100 hours a year max that they are going to spend around this spiritual family on a Sunday morning compared to 8,736 outside of here, the majority of which will come in and around your homes. This is why I say that your home is the primary place where your kids will learn the gospel, where they will see it lived out. This is why your home needs to be centered around Jesus. And again, I don't want to just preach this at you, so let me come alongside you with a, a few practical ways to live this out. Here's three simple things you can do to center your home around the gospel. Number one, apologize, and apologize often. When your kids see you apologize, they'll realize that you're not perfect. 
which is good because they're not perfect either, right? We don't need to be the perfect example for them. We just need to point them to their perfect Savior. So number one is apologize. Number two, extend grace repeatedly. Man, God's grace can be something that's really hard to wrap our minds around, right? Even as adults, how much harder than for kids, especially if they don't see this in their own homes. So display grace in the way that you treat your spouse, in the way that you treat other members of your family. And you won't just be telling them about God's unconditional love. You'll actually be showing them what it looks like. The third way you can have your home be more gospel-centered is simply to be present, to consistently and constantly be present. See, I think our family has produced, or our, our society has produced families that are, are rich in experience, but poor in relationships. We emphasize the, the club sports, the Disneyland trips, and all this sort of stuff. And again, that's not bad in and by itself. But when we do so at the expense of relationships, then we've got a problem. I believe as Christians, we are to flip that script and be rich in relationships, even if it comes at the expense of some of those experiences. What's more important is who our kids become. Far more important than the things they experience. So let's invest in relationships. That points me to the other home that I believe we need to be rooted in. In order to be spiritually healthy, we need to be, have two homes. One is our physical residence. The other one is the church. Now, I know that's an easy thing for me to say as a pastor, right? But I want to share with you one more study that's actually going to prove this to you. This is a study that was done a few years ago in an attempt to uncover why so many young people, 75% actually, of, of young people between ages 18 and 29 are leaving the church. It's a pretty big number, right? And so they, they looked into this. They did this study, and they found that there was a, a really wide range, kind of the things that you would expect. But what really stood out to me was the commonalities amongst the 25% who actually stayed connected to Christ and to the church. They shared some specific things in common. And this is where we see this start to play out, that spiritually healthy families have more than one home. Check this out. The five things held in common by those who stayed connected to Christ and to the church. Number one, their families ate dinner together roughly five times a week. Number two, their families served together in ministry. Number three, they had one spiritual experience in their home, at least one, during the week. Number four, they were given responsibility in ministry at an early age. Number five, they had at least one faith-focused adult in their lives other than their parents. To put it simply, the young people who had more than one place they called home grew to become spiritually healthy adults. This is why we are intentional in having our youth here with us and even our elementary students for a while with us on Sunday mornings. This is why we do kids' life group and not just your basic babysitting. And it's why we encourage people to serve in our children's ministry because we know how valuable it is for the next generation to have more than one place to call home. Listen, when it comes to the decision that you and I made to put our faith in Jesus, nobody made that decision for us. But each and every one of us had somebody else who played a role in that journey. And oftentimes it wasn't just our parents. So if we're going to be God-honoring, purpose-driven, and spiritually healthy families, then we need to make sure that each of us have more than one place we call home. I want to invite the band back up now as I get ready to close. And as they make their way up, I want to just pause to acknowledge those of you who might be feeling a bit overwhelmed by all of this. Whether being a parent is far off in your future, whether you're nine months or less from that moment, 
or whether it's maybe a little bit in the rear view mirror now, the reality is this is a big responsibility. But I want you to know that you are not in this alone. You have been placed into a multi-generational family, and more importantly, you have a loving, faithful, and trustworthy father. And he promises to lead us. Now, I realize your family picture may not be perfect. I realize many of you walked in here today with scars or maybe even with open wounds. But it's not too late to reorient your family. It's not too late to put your trust in God and allow him to lead the way. Because I love that he promises us if we do that, our families will be a blessing. We will be rewarded. And he even promises rest. All the parents of little ones said amen. <laughs> Listen, I know that being a part of a family is never easy. Because we're fallen people. We're going to mess up. If you're a parent, you especially know that. But if we trust in the Lord to build his house, if we lean on his wisdom, trust in his strength, rely on his grace, then our families, both biological and spiritual, they will be a blessing for generations to come. So as we wrap up week one in this series, what I want to ask you to do, if you haven't already started taking notes, maybe pull out your phone, pull out whatever you're taking notes with, I want you to jot down three questions. Number one, is my family God-honoring? Go ahead and write that down. If you look at your bank account, if you look at your calendar, would that reflect a life that is chasing after the things that are important to God or would it reflect a life chasing after your own selfish ambitions. Number two, is my family purpose-driven? Do those who you are, are mentoring, those who you are raising up, do they understand what it means to live life on mission? Are you preparing them for the mission ahead or are you simply protecting them from harm? Number three, is my family spiritually healthy? Do they have more than one place that they can call home? Listen, it's okay if you're not where you want to be in these areas. Remember, there is no such thing as a picture-perfect family, but what each of us do have is an opportunity to make an intentional decision to reorient our families, to focus them on God's purpose, on God's vision, and on God's design. And I truly believe if we do this, we can have those God-honoring, purpose-driven, and spiritually healthy families we were created to have.